and I don't want to take away any time from what the Lord wants to do. So, Father God, we just love what you're doing. We love being with you, and you love being with us. And that's such a privilege. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for ministering. Thank you that you can talk to everyone here in the room, and yet you can be at the same time just dealing with different things here, there and everywhere. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love being with you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the lighthouse. Bless these guys here. Yeah, I pray a blessing on the guys here. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their pursuit of a dream to establish the Kingdom Life School. Bless them, Lord. Bless them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, so, I'm aware that lots of people don't know maybe who John and I are. I'm Danny, and my husband is John. You might have seen him play the guitar a little bit. And we're good friends of the Lighthouse. And we, I think we became friends, as it were, with Phil and Heather about four years ago. Do you think that's about right? Through Connect, maybe. Um, and we're not from Poole, we're not from Dorset. We moved to Dorset about five years ago. And we did that um, because John took up a job at a church in Poole. And he took up this job as a worship pastor of a, of a church, quite a, quite a big-ish church. Um, and what we did was we moved here, we bought some flip-flops and some <laughs> wetsuits, and we got into the life of Poole and being at Sandbanks a lot, which is lovely. And also what we decided to do was we decided to just throw ourselves into church. We decided to commit ourselves to the leaders of the church that John was working for. And obviously John had his commitments as, as in his role as a worship pastor, but also we, we did whatever was needed. So, you know, like many of you here, you do what's needed, don't you, in a church. So whether it's children's ministry or youth ministry or making a meal for Alpha or whatever it is, women's ministry, all that kind of stuff, we put ourselves in it. We put ourselves to task in the church. We love the church and we thought, this is what we've got to do. We've got to put ourselves wholeheartedly into it. But the problem with that was, after about two years, we realized our whole world was basically in church. We spent most of our time either ministering to people, preparing for ministry, um, pastoral care of the people that were in the ministries that we were responsible for. And in our social time, we spent time with other people who ministered. (laughs) And a bit like teachers in the teaching common room, we spent our time often eventually talking about the people that we're ministering to as well. So we literally were in the classic Christian bubble. And that's, there's something beautiful about that as well. We really had loving relationships with the people we were living alongside. But we had absolutely no time and no energy for anybody outside of church. And that's a big problem. That's a major, major problem. So I had a little bit more opportunity because we've got three small children and so, you know, toddler groups, preschool, school gate, you get the opportunity at least to interact with other people. John, much less so, like his 
working week was really odd. He was out in the evenings. You know, it's all kind of higgledy-piggledy in ministry. So we just literally didn't have any time to reach anybody. And what we started to feel was a sense of um, dissatisfaction. But it was a positive dissatisfaction. It was a holy, I believe it was a holy dissatisfaction because we started to think, what are we actually doing? You know, we're keeping all these things running and we're part of a team doing this and we're keeping these cogs turning and turning and turning. But actually, what are we actually doing? (laughs) You know? Um, We weren't really seeing a whole deal of fruit, if I'm really honest. Like, pockets of it, you know. But we're putting in all this effort and all this energy, but actually not really seeing anything as a return for that investment as it were and so we started on a journey of asking God what is the Christian life actually all about because we think we've thrown ourselves into this but as it turns out we're not really seeing anything that we read about in the Bible and so we started the process it took about it took us about 18 months to two years and we started asking the Lord what do you want us to do what do you want us to do we want to live a want to live a real full Christian life and it doesn't feel like this is it and we started putting ourselves in the way of teaching and putting ourselves in the way of prophets and putting ourselves in the way of counsel from people we discussed with friends heaven for Phil were two of those people you know we started sharing our hearts with them and we sought out um, books and teaching about people who'd done things that seemed like it fitted with the Bible, you know. So we read Jackie Pullinger and David Wilkinson and Heidi Baker and all, you know, the great heroes of our modern day and all the amazing things they've done. And one night, um, I couldn't sleep. I I was pretty restless, so I decided I'd go downstairs and I'd um, just read. It wasn't a spiritual thing, it was just a practical thing I wanted to basically tire myself out because I was really wanted to sleep but I couldn't and I picked up Heidi Baker's book on the side I can't remember which one Love Came Down I think and started reading it and you know her books are full of just stories aren't they just story after story after story of transformation restoration rescue salvation healing and it's, it's, it's so encouraging, like it's really great to hear when the power of God is at work, like it's always good to read that stuff. But it, it really broke me that night, like I really, I went on my knees and I cried because I just said to God, this is nothing like my life. You know, I'm happy for her and her husband and I'm, it's wonderful that God's doing something in Africa that's brilliant. But I don't live in Africa. I don't feel called to Africa at all. So I want to encounter the power of God here in Poole. And something that God began to speak to me about was um, it's not sufficient to live on the, the coattails of someone else's face. Like, it's great to read about Jackie Pullinger, isn't it? And David, it's, it's amazing. But it, it's no good if I'm just coasting on someone else's stories. And I just felt this is just not satisfactory anymore. This is not good enough. 
when I need to have my stories. I need to see salvation. And, you know, I've been a Christian for 19 years, and really I can't point you to many people who've become a Christian in my sphere of influence in that time. Not without a huge amount of effort. <laughs> so there was a problem. There was a big, big problem. And so in our searching... You know, it's funny, a worship pastor and his wife, we were asking the question, what, what is Christianity, actually? <laughs> what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because we've done everything in the book, like we've done every tick list, but it doesn't feel like we're really living a full life. And Heidi Baker's doing something like what Peter and John did. And Peter and John were doing something that Jesus did. So there's, there's, there was a problem and um, what we decided to do um, after, yeah, about two years of seeking the Lord was we felt the Lord asking us to, to give up that job, to leave the post at the church and really start a weird to us journey of seeking first the kingdom of God. Well, first of all, we had to really ask ourselves, what does that even mean? Like, so much Christian knees around, like what does that really mean? We didn't know how to separate the Christian culture that we've grown up in and, and been part of. We didn't know how to separate Christian culture from actually Christianity, actually following Jesus. So we love church and we loved the people that we were at church with but we removed ourselves from that environment and set on a course of saying what does it look like if we truly sought you what does it look like if there's no structure if there's no Sunday morning meeting and there's no Wednesday Bible study and there's no Tuesday women's group what does, it, what does my prayer life look like if there's no structure what does my worship life look like if I don't have a meeting in the diary what, how much am I going to worship God if those things aren't in place and so we set about deciding that our days were for the Lord. And we, before embarking on it, you know, we asked God, what, what, how are we going to live? Like, this is really strange. And we thought, maybe we should take, like, part-time jobs at Tesco, or maybe we should, you know, maybe we should take up um, a part-time job each, or maybe I should work on my own, and John would pursue this. And we felt the Lord say, because we've got, you know, our three little ones, and they were that bit younger then. We had a one-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old at the time. With the time left, as you can imagine, there's not a huge amount of time, but with my time left, with John's time left, God said, I want this to be your full-time endeavor. And so we decided to take God at his word that he provides for those who seek first the kingdom. You know, we... We read through Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, over and over again, how to live in obedience to God, what that looks like in terms of the way we live, and it also includes money and our concerns about that, how we'll eat, what we'll wear. And we decided to take God at his word that he would take care of us. And um, we, we shared the last kingdom life, or the one before, I don't know, about, about some of the provisions that we saw in that time, and it, it really is amazing. I, um, I want to share just one story um, because during this time we wanted to bring our children along with us in this journey. We wanted to show them what it means to follow Jesus because like honestly up until that point 
we'd done the Bible stories with them, we'd done the prayer in the evening, and we'd done the, the sort of thing that you would do, but actually it felt as though all we were doing was just educating them about God. And we, we didn't know that we weren't consciously allowing them to encounter God for themselves. We weren't making space for that. So we started to make space for it. And one month, um, we missed a rent payment. And um, we started to get a bit concerned about that because, you know, that's not great. And also, we started to be confused. Why, why have we missed a rent payment? Is God not in this anymore? You know, it, why has God not provided this particular month? So we decided to include the children in our prayers about the money. We had we had made a point of um, testifying to the kids. We had this door in the kitchen where we would pin up the things that God had provided us with, whether it was bananas or whatever it was. We drew pictures and put it on the wall. So this particular week, we decided to make paper money to the value. I made an example of it somewhere. Let's see if I can find it. So we cut up some magazines, some catalogues, and we made paper money just like this. Just scraps of paper. And we made it to the value of the money we were asking for. So each one of these, I think, was £20, something like that. So we were, we were asking God for the, the month of rent that we'd missed. We were asking him for the month of rent that we were in. And for good measure, we decided to ask him for the month of rent to come. <laughs> okay. So we drew a big picture of our house and the kids coloured it in and we made, it was a good exercise for me. This was meant to be a prophetic act for the kids, but this was a good exercise for me because it took me a long time to tear up the amount of money that we were asking for and it made me realise we're asking for a lot of money here. (laughs) Three months rent plus three months council tax as well we were asking God for. And when we got, we had loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of these, we laid our paper money onto the um, picture of our house and we all laid hands on it and we said Lord we're asking you to change this paper money into real money because we need to pay to, in order to stay in this house and so that's what we did and um, what what happened in the days following and the weeks following is that every time a bit of money came in so if somebody dropped some money through the door or something like that or provision came in some way or form we would take one of the value of whatever had come through the door and blue tack it to the back of the door so that the kids could see God's providing, the money's coming in. It was also great for us. So the, the kitchen door was starting to get you know, peppered with these, this paper money, but we still had this huge wadge left over, like really it was quite thick. So, you know, the days went by. Um, a check came in which was an expenses check, um, and so I thought, right, well, I've got to go to the bank to put that money in. And then I had this completely bonkers idea that um, I would take my huge wadge of money in an envelope with the cheque, and I'd go to the bank, and I would try to deposit my paper money. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm quite a normal person, I think. <laughs> So I know exactly what that sounds like. That sounds a bit... That sounds crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds crazy. But you know what? God had me in a place where 
It's not normal to take a stick and hit a rock and expect water to come out, is it? And it's not normal to, you know, throw your line out, catch a fish, open the fish and find money inside. But if I'm going to teach my children that that's what happened to Peter, then I need to teach my children that this is what we're to expect. I can't just teach them the story. Oh, isn't that great? You found some coins in the fish. Oh, great. We all love fishing. I can't teach them that and not teach them to expect to find miraculous provision. And so I texted a few friends and I said, I'm just about to do something super crazy. Please, can you pray for me? This is the most bonkers thing I've ever done. And... um, we went to the bank, I picked the kids up from the school and I took my envelope and I decided to write the value of the cheque on the envelope. I can't remember how much that was. And I decided to write the value of the cash, as it were, that we were still waiting for. Um, and I remember the amount. It was a lot. It was, I don't know if you can read that, £2,480. It's a lot of money. We'd seen a lot of provision, but this is, this is a lot of money we were asking the Lord for. Our rent was high, and our council tax ban was really high. So we took our money, and I sat in the car with the kids, and we laid hands on the envelope, and the kids are amazing, aren't they? They've just got amazing faith. And Lucy prayed, Lord, please change our paper money into real money. Amen. Opened up the envelope. Still paper money. We laid our hands on the envelope. Lord, please, we're asking you for provision. We know that you've done it before. Please, can you provide us with this rest of this money that we need to live in our house? Amen. We opened the envelope. Still paper money. So I said to the kids, come on, let's just go to the bank. So off we went to the bank with our envelope. And my heart was kind of full. You know, I was standing in the queue waiting. It's slowly going to become our turn. And I'm thinking... This is like the most exciting thing I've done and also just the absolute craziest thing I've ever done. And on one hand, I'm potentially going to show my kids like the most amazing provision ever because the decision of our hearts was we wanted to, we wanted to deposit into the hearts of our kids testimony of God's provision. We wanted them to see it. So that when the teenage years come or whenever the troubling, the difficult times come, they've got it lodged in their hearts. They know that God provides. They know that God is real. They know that he heals. And this is one of those moments where I thought, Lord, this is either going to be the most fantastic deposit in their hearts or I'm going to really disappoint them. And I really was feeling both excitement and tremor, you know, kind of. And I approached the lady... It was my turn. I approached the lady at the bank and I opened up my envelope and there was all of the magazine paper. Thankfully, I had the cheque. So I hand the lady the cheque and I deposit the cheque and we walk away. And I was disappointed. Um, I know it's not normal. I know it's like exceptionally weird and unusual, but... I know that God can change paper money into real money. And I knew that God knew my heart wasn't to become rich. It was to provide for my family. I knew that God knew that I, I, my heart was pure about it. And I, I, I was at the point where I decided, you know, I, I had read the Bible and all the stories, and I, I think I had started to think of them as kind of 
I'd kind of I'd begun to forget that they were real stories, you know? You know, the, the, the loaves and fishes and all that kind of stuff, isn't that amazing? But it actually really was bread, and it really did multiply at some point. I don't know at which point, but it really did become more. So the substance of bread, the very real tangible, you know, whatever bread's made of, whatever paper's made of, became more, became more than the substance that's held within this piece of paper. And, you know, Jesus walked on water, it, it's his design and order that, of gravity. It's, his desi- it's God's design and order that I'm heavier than water. So I shouldn't float. You know, I should sink because I'm heavier. You know, I, but Jesus defied his own laws, you know, defied laws of the Lord and, and stood on something that shouldn't hold his weight. The physicality of water changed or the physicality of him changed. I don't know which one, but something changed. And so after this day at the bank, I, um, I, was, a bit, I was a bit disappointed. I had to text all those people. People were texting me back, hey, what happened? Oh, nothing. <laughs> nothing to report. And we still had the pressing issue of actually needing to pay rent. And um, we paid one lot. We're still waiting for some more. And about five weeks went by. I think it was about five weeks, maybe. And we were just going to bed and um, I was doing my standard, you know, phone, looking at Facebook, looking at Instagram. And I decided to check our bank app, not RBS app. So I clicked in. John hates doing this late at night. That you hate. And I love, I love checking it late at night. Even if it's bad, I like to know. So I decided to check, check our balance. And straight away I thought, something's not right here. And I looked at the balance of our account. Because we had way more money than, I, than we should have. And I, I thought, this is weird. Something's wrong. And I wasn't even that excited. I actually thought, I was worried. I thought, something's not quite right here. And I clicked in and I looked down the statement. And a deposit had come into our bank account from HMRC. And as it transpires, um, in the financial year previous, and John had been working at the church, we'd received child tax credits. And what had happened in that financial year is we'd been underpaid, according to their calculations, throughout the year. So they'd put a deposit, we hadn't asked for it, we hadn't had a letter or a phone call, we hadn't applied for it, nothing like that. But a deposit had gone into our account, which was like a rebate from the financial year before. And um, anyone want to guess how much money went into our account? <laughs> £2,480 was deposited into our bank account. That's amazing from... (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Because I'm just like a normal person. I'm not Heidi Baker. I'm a normal person. (laughs) Yeah, she's really not normal, is she? (laughs) She's like kind of in another world. But I'm a normal person. And Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs put £2,480 in our bank. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. And we have many stories like that, you know, that are lodged in my heart now. So I can tell you, I can stand here and say, God provides. I haven't got a clue why it took five or six weeks. 
I haven't got a clue why he didn't do it the way I would have liked it to happen. No idea. I don't understand God's timing. I don't understand his ways. But I know that he provides. And you'll have your stories as well when you know that you know that God has done something, that God heals or God provides or God is good or God restores a relationship or whatever that thing is. It's lodged there, isn't it? And you need to have those deposits in your heart to be able to live the life that we're living at the minute. From that time on, we we really saw lots of provision, not always in that sort of way, but that um, we've got like a little catalogue, we have provision in our hearts. And um, the thing that I think God most wants to share this morning is a question. And I... I want to share a little bit about where we are right now because John and I are in this weird, um, this weird phase of our lives because four months ago we um, moved out of our house and um, the tenancy was up. They needed to use the house for um, something else. So we, we moved out and we believed that the Lord had spoken to us about provision of a home for us. And in the run-up to us moving out, we asked the Lord, what does that look like? Do we, are we moving into a little flat? Do we need to get rid of all our stuff? Are we, um, what's it going to be? What do we do? And we felt the Lord say, don't sell all your stuff. You will need it on the other end. You'll need your pots and your pans and your towels and your beds. And your, you know, you'll need your stuff at the other end. We also felt, he said, don't look to man, but look to me for your provision. We also felt he can say to us, don't make a plan B. So we, um, you know, we packed up our house and we had to move out. Um, our Monday was our moving day. So we, we packed up our house and our kids went off to school. And that particular morning we felt the Lord had said to us to rise and watch the sun rise. We felt that God had asked us to, um, it's in Psalms, it says, as surely as the sun rises, I will come and meet with you. And we, we believed the Lord was going to meet with us that morning. So we got up at four and we sat with a cup of tea on our step. Before the kids were awake and we, we listened to the most incredible noise from the birds, this incredible dawn chorus from the birds. And the sun rose and I genuinely expected to see Jesus. You know, I really did. Um, we didn't see him visually, but we sat there with just expectation in our hearts that morning. And what transpired over those two days was the Lord brought around us um, just just the most special people around our lives. So he brought a team of people to come and help us. And we didn't know what to do. <laughs> we didn't have anywhere to go. We'd hired a van. We'd packed up our stuff and we had nowhere to go. And we prayed and we worshipped and we had this beautiful team of people with us and we packed up these vans and then we didn't know what to do. And the, that particular night, I, I'm not going to tell that whole story because it's, it's, it's long and also it's still so tender in my heart that <laughs> I don't know if I'd get through it very well. But... What has happened since that time is that we, our stuff was then put into friends' garages and stuff. 
and our kids and us and a bag of clothes each, we have been um, without a home for the four months. So we've been staying with friends, um, they've been away, we've been staying in their house and we've been staying with one particular couple for the longest stretch of time in the four months. So we're in this weird state of waiting for the fulfilment of God's promise. And we've moved in and out um, of different people, sometimes the same place, in and out, ten times in four months. And honestly, <laughs> it's really hard. It's, um, it's really hard just practically because we've got three kids and they've got their stuff and we've got our stuff and we're trying to make things as comfortable for them as possible. But also, um, the greatest thing that we've had to overcome in that time is a sense of shame. You know, we really feel like fools sometimes. And um, because people were aware of our situation and our story, people would approach us a lot at the school gate and say, hey, what's happened? What's going on? And we'd have to tell them. And even just yesterday, John was still having to tell somebody at the school gate. Two different people asked us, um what's happened and every time we have to say no we still haven't seen the fulfillment of that promise it's really hard to not feel like a real fool isn't it it's really really difficult but the question that I God is definitely asking me it and I believe that he wanted to ask the room is what do we do in the waiting time Because we need to be able to conquer what to do in the waiting time. Because the life of being a Christian is a life of waiting often, isn't it? So ultimately, we are waiting for Jesus' return. We know that he's coming. We don't know when that time is. So we're in in an anticipation of Jesus' return. So we need to know, what do we do in the meanwhile? What do we do in the waiting? And... The beautiful thing about being in an environment like this where the prophetic is allowed and is given permission for is that we are often given words. We're often given things that we're holding on to, promises that we have. And the language of that can often be things like um, you're coming into a season of or soon there will be whatever, dot, 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 dot. And there's a future tense language to it, isn't there, often? And those things are good and we need to hold on to those things and process them and process them and and really seek God for those and hold on to those promises. But the problem can be, if we don't manage those prophetic words well, is that we're just living for the future and we're not actually living. (laughs) And the Lord wants us to be alive, like today. He wants me to be alive today. Because the enemy would love it if I just got so discouraged that I just bailed out of life. And we stopped seeking first the kingdom of God. If John and I just decided, oh, we we just don't have it. Because for me, you know, I, I feel it's like this in front of me. We don't have a home. I'm a married woman with three children and I don't have a home. That is like here. Everywhere I go, like this, it, it, it doesn't disappear. It's like an ache in my heart all the time. But 
But God wants to know, what are you going to do in the waiting? Because what I cannot do is just pretend that that's not there. What I cannot do is just push that really deep down. I can't do that. I've got to somehow live in the reality of this thing. For me, it's a home. And so, I just want to invite you to ask between you and God the question, what am I going to do while I'm waiting for the thing? While I'm waiting for my healing, while I'm waiting for the relationship that I desire, while I'm waiting for the ministry or the job or the whatever I want to step into, the desire of my heart, the dream of my heart. While I'm waiting for that, what am I going to do? Um... Um, sometimes in this four-month period, we've um, had really, really difficult days. And But for the majority of the time, I want to testify to the fact that we've really experienced God's peace. And there's no logical reason why we would, because it doesn't make any sense. But when we first left our home, and we were in this crazy whirlwind of what, is, what just happened? <laughs> like, what just happened? Um, we got up at four in the morning and we packed up and we didn't have anywhere to go and then the next day we had to pack all our stuff into someone else's house and grab brownie uniform and school uniform and grab what we could out of bags and gather together some stuff. And um, what just happened? And we had to ask God, what, are you in this? Like, did we completely miss it? Are we... Are we, are we wrong? Because if you're not in it, then we, we don't want any part of this. And if you're not in it, then we'll just figure it out ourselves. You know, we'll just sort it out. And what God did when we were finally ready to listen, because it took us a few days to sort of get to the point where we were really able to hear God's voice, God spoke to us. And when God spoke to us to say, this is my provision. This, what you're experiencing right now doesn't look anything like you expected. But you are being taken care of and you are being provided for. Once that word came, his peace came in our hearts. And the peace that truly surpasses understanding, like it surpasses circumstance. And when you have God's peace, you're alive, aren't you? And so we experienced God's peace and that has allowed us to continue in this journey. But we've had some days when that peace has just slipped away. And we've been able to red flag that. We've been able to notice that because when his peace has slipped away, we've stopped living and we've just started surviving. And we're just, we're just getting the kids to school on time and we're just washing uniform and we're just getting just the bare minimum of the commitments that we've got. We're just getting them done. And as soon as we started slipping into survival mode, we red flagged that and said, we're not, this, is, this can't be, this is not good for us because we're, we're just surviving. We're not alive. We're not living. And so... Um, I feel like God's just given me a couple of things that he wants to say about um, what to do to maintain his peace. 
Um, and above all else, we need intimacy with the Lord. So as soon as intimacy creeps out, his peace sort of disappears. And when his peace disappears, anxiety can creep in and doubt can creep in. And it, it, can, it can be really, really unhelpful. So we need to maintain intimacy. And the way to intimacy is worship. So John and I have worshipped and we've worshipped and we've worshipped. And sometimes I haven't really felt like worshipping because I've got this right here, you know. But we've chosen to worship and worship and worship. And in the presence of God, he speaks. And when he speaks, his peace comes. And when his peace comes, we can live, can't we? Yesterday, Heather was doing that, um, leading that meditation in the Word. And right at the end, Jesus is the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light that leads to life. And what I want is life in the now today. I want to be alive and well, and I want to have the light of life in me today. And the reason I want that is because Jesus is the light of the world and I've chosen to follow him. And I've decided my life is about seeking first the kingdom of God. And that's what John and Danny's life is about. That's what we've chosen to do. So if I ever feel that the light of life, if life is disappearing from me, then there's, there's a problem and I need to be back in intimacy with Jesus I need to be back with my father. I need to be hearing his word, the word that brings peace, so that I can truly live. Because there's a world out there that wants to know, is Christianity actually real? They want to know, what does it actually mean when your marriage is in trouble, or life isn't going as you want, or you're ill, or whatever the thing is. They want to know. And if we haven't got the light of, that gives life in us, then we've got nothing to show. We haven't got Jesus, the light of the world, to show them. So when I see the people that I see each day at the school gate and they know our situation, what I don't want to do is bury what I'm going through. I don't want to pretend we're fine. I want to be real with them and say, we have this big issue right here. But I want them to see the light that gives life out of me. Because in the passage in Matthew where it talks about being salt and light, it talks about putting your light on a lampstand, let your good deeds be known, so that. And the so that is so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We want to give everybody the opportunity to know the Father. We want to give everybody the opportunity to respond in praise. And so I need to let my light shine. And I can't let my light shine if there's no light in me. <laughs> so I need to remain in intimacy. And I need to be able to live in the now and not just in the future of whenever the fulfilment of whatever promise I'm waiting for comes. So, um, John is going to lead us just in a bit of ministry off the back of that. 
Um, I wonder if it's worth standing. Let's stand. to pray first of all I want to honour the heroes of our modern day faith not to say that but I want to pray off anyone the notion that they might be living by proxy as it were through someone else so, Lord, we want to live our own lives with you. And we love what you're doing in other places. And we are so encouraged that in other parts of the world you're doing amazing things. We just pray blessing on them. But, Lord, we want to be the faith story of our own lives. on us that either feels inadequate or that we're coasting on someone else's story. We just pray that office in the name of Jesus. And I just want to declare that it's me and you, Jesus. It's me and you and my story and it's you and Jesus and your story. And I pray, Lord, that we would put ourselves in the way We'd be seeking first the kingdom. We'd put ourselves in the way of encounter with you so that we are depositing in our hearts testimony after testimony after testimony. So that we can go to the library of our hearts on a hard day. We can go to the library of our hearts on a day when it's right up there in our face. And say, I know that you provide. I know that you're healer. I know that you're a God that loves me. Because of that moment that I deposited in my heart when I, when I encountered you that time. Yes, Lord. It's me and you and me and you and me and you and me and you. <laughs> Um, a couple of words really um, right at the beginning of the week I saw a picture of of uh, like a <coughs> a tunnel that had been closed up that was being crowbarred open and at first I, I was like maybe that's the well that everyone talks about being uh, untapped but I realised it wasn't a well it was a tunnel and it was being crowbarred open and I saw a pride of lions start walking out of it 
and um, yeah, and then I, I I saw like a pair of uh, like fingerless boxing gloves that they use for like training for fighting and for street fighting. And I asked the Lord, like, that was at the beginning of the week, is that what you're doing in this time? And um, I felt like he, he gave me the verse in, in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 4 that says, um, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so we're not going to talk anymore. I thank you, Lord, that you've been bringing courage back to our hearts this week. You've been raising a pride of lions. And so right now, no more talk. We ask for the power of God to come. Fire. Courage. Faith. 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 Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait for Him.
Let's just put a, an arm on someone next to us. Let's just let's just interlock in this room. Holy Spirit, we don't we can't make you do anything. We don't want to make anything false out of this. We want the true fire of God. The true fire. So we say, here we are today. An altar. Some of it has had water doused on it. Some of it is just ready for the fire. And we ask for you to come and consume now. In Jesus' name. That we might be a river, not a dam. A river, not a dam. That the fire in here would be a blaze out of here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In this world, outside of the church, a blazing fire. In the supermarket, on the school run, in the offices, in our homes, in the commute, in the petrol station, a fire in Jesus' name. A blaze of glory. word for us. I saw um, like a clearing in a forest and two rows of trees stretching away with a sort of grassed area between them but no clear path and people were standing sort of milling around going well which way is it? Is it that way? Is it? I'm not sure. Can't see the path. And then Jesus came and he stood and all the people lined up hands on the person in front and he walked confidently forward and then they could he could see the path he knew the path and they held each other up their people were supporting each other and they all followed and there they didn't even need to look for the path because they were just drawn along together Uh, I had a picture there of um, a stained glass window. It was really beautiful. But um, then I saw a hammer coming to it. And actually, that seems like a tragic thing to do in a sense because you're breaking something beautiful. But it allowed this flood of light to come in. And I wondered if it was something um, connected to what I said earlier about um, not knowing the difference between Christian culture and actually what following Jesus is really about. So... 
Lord, I, I pray for us all. We've all picked up habits and cultures and ways of doing things. And Lord, I pray for freedom over us all, that you would take a sledgehammer to religion in our lives. You take a sledgehammer to anything that is just not of you, but we've picked up along the way. And it looks good and it, and it kind of, it, it, it looks appealing, but actually it's not as good as the real thing. And so I pray that your light would flood through us. And we would, we would break off us things that, that aren't actually to do with following you. That have clung to us like Sticky Jack. And one more thing on that. The stained glass normally has an image of something that I can't relate to. But breaking the window is you reflecting Jesus as you and me reflecting Jesus as me. So I bless you and I bless me and I bless Danny to reflect the light of Christ as you are, not someone else. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I have met many people recently who have been in this place that they kind of felt that they couldn't take any more prophetic words because the prophetic words were so far from the reality in their lives. And, um, and I feel that I have been in that place myself once where I said, God, no more prophetic words. I want some answers. And when I was praying about this, what to say to these people who are in this place, God reminded me that um, in the New Old Testament, it was prophesied years, thousands of years beforehand about Jesus, that he was coming. And it was detailed very clearly that he will be coming one day. But when Jesus actually came, there were only two people who were waiting for him, Simeon and Anna. And they were there in the temple, worshiping God, waiting for him to come. And when you said in your testimony that when it's been most painful in your life, you just worship. And I just felt that that was God. It was just what God required of you. And um, I don't have any words of hope for you, the future, really. <laughs> but I just know that you're doing just exactly what God is requiring of you. Because also, other thing came to my mind that um, I won't go into details because I know time is short. But there's many kinds of tests God puts on our ways to test our obedience. And your test of obedience has really been tested to your limit at times. But because of that, I can just see that your training and what you are prepared for is something special. It is just for you too. And my words of hope are there will be a house. There will be everything for you. But when I don't know. <laughs> but bless you. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> because I haven't known who you are. But John, you have come, been coming to worship lead the worship here a few times, you know, in Sundays. And I've just noticed you. And I said to my husband one day, who is this man? He's just so lovely. He's so full of life. 
I see Jesus standing out of you. And, and just, it's been just wonderful. And the same with you when you came to lead those courses. So even although you are in the midst of this kind of life where you find it very hard, the life of Jesus, it is still just shining out of you. Please carry on. Bless you. They probably didn't want a whole range of people coming up to saying stuff now because they wanted encounter. God has been encountering us. But um, I'm going to join in the line of people coming up and saying something in this environment because um, as I was sitting listening at the back there, I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me that we all need to realise that there's a whole lot more going on than what we see in what we call the natural, whether or not we've got the house or not, or whatever it is for us. For our Father, He's really aware of this other realm as well, which is called the heavens. And in the heavens, there is a an enemy who is coming before the Father daily uh, to accuse and to say, well, test them on that. We know that's true, don't we, from the Bible? Uh, You know, if they have to go week after week, month after month without this, eventually they'll stop praising you. And the Father was saying that every day where you and I stay faithful in the waiting and we only just say, I love you, Lord, even though I don't know what's going on, in heaven he's going, that's my boy, that's my son, that's my daughter, you see? And the victory is being won in heaven as well as on the earth. And in that way, we prove ourselves to be true disciples because there's that incredible list of the men and women of faith that have gone before us who, well this doesn't sound very encouraging at all, never saw what they believed. I think you will see, but they did it all the way to the end. And God has honoured them in that list of those who are waiting for another city, another kingdom. And so, Father, we just pray that one of the things you'd break off us in going from the um, church culture to true Christianity is... That victory is getting the answer. When victory is being a true follower, a true worshipper, even before we've got the answer, and enduring by faith and letting the light shine before we've got our answers. We agree that that's true Christianity, and we'll break our agreement with any teaching and any culture and anything we've inherited a true person of faith is the one who can pray it, declare it and get it that second (laughs) 
that we would be faithful even when we don't get it that second because we believe your word is true, Lord. So thank you so much for speaking to us today through Danny and John. And we thank you, Danny and John, for being a true example to us of a son and daughter of the Father and telling the truth. We bless you on your journey and receive the Father's affirmation that the light is shining through you. Thank you, Lord, for everything we've done today. Amen. Cool. So, I think we'll um, I think we'll draw to uh, a close there. Although, if anyone wants to pray with John and Danny, I'm sure they will be. Uh, more than willing to receive your prayers. It's a pretty awesome, pretty awesome story, pretty awesome journey they're on. And it's a real challenge for all of us, and it's a challenge for me to kind of hear that and kind of think, yeah, I, I struggle with stuff, but it's nothing in comparison to what these guys go through, and it really puts it into perspective. So, but for those of you who uh, who want to, uh, lunch is also lunch is also served.